when I went to a casino. Um, I was I was wondering what your version of that trip was, and I was hoping you could tell that. I, I will definitely tell. Yes. So I. Well, oh, you don't have your card with your yeah. name engraved on. I don't know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> so I, where are you gonna get your that's, restaurant? You know, that's like the last thing I lost on that trip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the casino is not my first rodeo. I've been to another other casinos before, um, and so this time I was trying to figure out, you know, what would be the new experience. And so usually I'm just a miser. I'm dragged there by my friends. I sit down at a penny slot machine and I spend a penny per bet, and I just wait till everyone is ready to go home, and I lose my two dollars and I'm okay. And so this time I decided I was just gonna apportion $100 to blow at the casino. And I felt really bad about it, but I committed myself to it. Uh, and so I met Bonnie, and there were three omens on the way <laughs> to the casino. <laughs> um, and given the premise, I don't know if they were good omens or bad omens. So the first omen was we got on the train, and we got out our smartphones to start doodling around and we, you know, said a sentence or two to each other. And the woman next to us turns to us and says, listen, this is the quiet train. If you want to talk, you gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> so that was omen number one, felt pretty bad. Uh, omen number two, we uh, met up with Franklin and got in his car and we were driving and we turned onto the first driveway that said Rivers Casino, and we were in front of this sort of low-slung office building, <laughs> and someone was like, hmm, maybe this is it, <laughs> sort of in a questioning kind of voice, and I was like, listen, you don't build a four-story, two-million-car garage <laughs> for this thing. I think we're, like, somewhere wrong. And then we backed out into the, the garbage. Right, so we story. back out and we slam into a garbage container, which is on wheels, and <laughs> flies into the drainage ditch. <laughs> so that is omen number two. the only damage we did at the casino. <laughs> And then the third omen is uh, we get to the casino, and I know that they have like rewards programs because I heard a story about it on NPR, and that's where I get all my information. Uh, and I'm like, we should sign up for these things. I've never signed up for a rewards program. Uh, and I go up to the lady, and I'm like, tell me about your rewards program. And she's like, oh, you get $10 of free food or free gambling. And I was like, sign me up! <laughs> that's more money I can lose. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but the machine did not like my ID, my, and I'm not from Illinois, so that seemed okay. But then when I tried to enter my PIN, it, the machine broke. <coughs> and so I said to the kind service person, I said, oh, looks like my luck is going to be either very good today or very bad. And she, <laughs> she looked at me dead serious. And she said, sir, let's not think like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I got my card and we went gambling, and uh, the gambling, I lost money and don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Did you lose more than $100? I, le I, I checked it out and I lost less than $100, I lost $40, plus the 10 that they gave me for So food. you really made $60. <laughs> no, I lost forty dollars. <laughs> you budgeted to lose it all. So. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, another failure there. Right? I, lost, I lost a little self-respect as well. Yeah. So that, that was my. I was not a genius at the casino. Did you make any money in the process of losing that money? Yes. Yes. So I was very trepidatious about gambling, and I felt very intimidated. So I knew I just did the simplest thing, and I put $20 well, on Well, I want to point, I, I, I want to interject a little bit here. I gave Noah $20, <laughs> and I said, play it on black, and then don't spend any more money. That's not how I remember it. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Yeah, I put it on black and I won. And oh, I really? Really? She's just Dan's money. I really yeah. was taken aback by that, so I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> tentatively, I put the, my winnings back on black again and immediately lost Pause. it, which you know reassured me that things were going according to plan. Uh, so then. I was like, all right, I'm going to blow this last 22, and I put it on black, but I won again. So I, I thought, well, this isn't working. I better go play some kind of bastard version of poker that they have. And I, I did lose my $40 there. Uh, and I put in an extra 20. This isn't working because you were winning? <laughs> yeah, I, that, I was like, i got to go somewhere where I know less about the game. <laughs> and I, I got, I had 60 in chips, and I spent 40 because that's how much you need per hand, $40. Uh, and so the last 20 I took and put on black again and, and lost. And then I was so sad. <laughs> I think Bonnie could tell. I was just like, yeah. Oh my god. Then you look like the rest of the people. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I Some of them were having fun. Some of them were having fun. Yeah, we were in the red. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, actually, before I tell my, I basically the same end as that story, um, you had a gambling story for us, didn't you? Oh, it doesn't have to be. Story. Yeah. Um, it's not any like fun elements to it, I guess. Gambling never does. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, but I actually been to Rivers too, and I have my card, so it looks different now. So no membership. Least. <laughs> um, but no, so I actually did win money. So Rivers is like the only place I've won money, and I keep saying, "I'll go, I'll go back, and I'll like make up my winnings, I, or make up my losses that you know from Vegas. I'll go back to Rivers. They like me there. They'll give me money." <laughs> um, but no, I so I, I'm a big poker player. Um, and they have Texas Hold'em there, and I was like, I didn't really understand how you can have Texas Hold'em in a casino style, but it turns out you only play against a dealer, and everyone sitting with you kind of like helps you out and like shows you their cards, and I'm like, this is awesome, like not only do I know my cards, but I know their cards, and I have an <laughs> and I was like, I can do this. Um, and I was like doing pretty well, like, I, it took forever to even get a seat though. Like, the people would not leave, they like, kept winning, they're like, I am staying. Took me forever to finally get a seat. I was like, I'm doing it. And slowly, I like saw myself going up, and then everyone else around me though was like, you should put your money here. And it's like the spot where it's like, it's like a blind. You get paid if you get like double A's or um, like a suit or like a, a face card with something, blah blah blah. No, like, you should put your money there. Like you'll get, you'll get so much more. Like you'll win faster. And so I did. I was like, you know what? Money, let's keep the streak going. So I started putting it, and I'm like, little by little, I'm like, I keep losing money. Like, I was up 300, I was up 200. I was like, what just happened? And I just walked away. I was like, I'm keeping my 200, I'm not losing anymore. Not really an exciting story. Well, yeah, you, you won once. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was a real little kid going through Nevada. I popped in a place with my dad where there was a slot machine. He's like, all right, boys, <laughs> let this be a lesson to you. Popcorn in there. Pulled the arm. Totally paid out. It's <laughs> 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 like totally in the jackpot. And my dad's just like, <laughs> "All right, boys, you spend this money until it's all gone." <laughs> and so we played the slots for you know like the next hour, but it didn't really sink it in. But I guess I, I don't really gamble now, so. Oh well. <laughs> so I went to um, Lake Tahoe just. Uh, like a couple weeks ago, and he, my boyfriend gambles actually, and I don't really, but he wanted to go, so we went to Reno and um, stayed at Vermel, which was very, very nice, a hotel. Reno's not so nice, it's a little city. But the Perver Mills was nice, and they had a casino there and everything, and my boyfriend gambles on um, sports the most, and 
And that was always like, eh, whatever. You know, he does that um, no matter where he is. And he just thought, well, with the MBA conference, uh, this would be awesome. You know, I'll have other people around me because usually, you know, we're watching it and my shows. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you lost your one. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to um, Reno and the cover mill, and we actually um, were sitting there at the MBA game. And um, he likes to play what he calls the overs, which means that you have to add both team scores together, and then it has to be over like 198 points or something. And so at first I'm like, okay, how can this be a much different than like sitting in our house, right? Because I'm of course still doing the same, same thing. But actually, it turns out that it is a lot more fun to sit there <laughs> with a bunch of people who are all drunk, watching the game, screaming at it, because they all bet on it, and you're the only people that have won. <laughs> so everybody else in the bar did not play the over. They actually thought Golden State was going to win or something <laughs> crazy and um, lost. So it is really fun. Not <laughs> <laughs> mistakes, right? Yeah. I don't really have any stories about gambling because I'm a lame, square, basic loser who never really gambled. But I do want to point out that there's sort of a saying that in. Not it. Um, that sort of in the um, in a gold rush, the only people win are, are the ones who sell shovels. Has anybody heard that term? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to point out that one of the big fads in like tech is horse racing apps, <laughs> because horse races are happening all the damn time, and now there are apps where you can just press a couple of buttons wow. and place a bet on a horse that's going to race in five minutes. <laughs> wow. Those are the people getting rich off of that gambling. Gambling is profitable if you make if you like get other people to horse race with. Off the top. I don't know, maybe you guys want to download and gamble horse racing. <laughs> Are you a spokesman for the horse racing? This is what all of like the entire like like American like innovations are going into these days. Horse racing apps. <laughs> a lot of R and D though. Uh, R and D genius. <laughs> Uh, I have a a genius story that uh, is it about betting? I want to tell. It is not about betting. Uh, it's about a friend of mine uh, who was basically my first friend in college, and we were super duper close. And we're gonna call him Ned because I think I can remember that. <laughs> uh, and Ned had he, he had this way about him where he would say all these insightful things. He read philosophy, he programmed, but his main thing was he was a painter. And he would just like would talk about basically he'd talk about painting like you want like an artist to talk about painting. His paintings never, I'd look at them, they never made any sense to me, and he'd be like, no, 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 let me explain. And he'd just go on and on and on about every color and shape and thing like that. Uh, and it was really fascinating. But one of the things that he would do is you would just be walking and talking with him, and then he'd just disappear. You'd, he'd be in the middle of a conversation with you, and then something would catch his eye, and he would just walk away. And you'd be like, Ned, Ned, what? finish your thought. <laughs> and no, nothing could penetrate. Uh, one day, he's like, Dan, there's a poet who I'm pretty sure that you have classes with. And her name is Allison, and I have the biggest crush on her. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to make this happen for you. We're, of course, yeah. What's she got to do? We can hang out with her. <laughs> and so I just start inviting her everywhere, all the time. We're hanging out. He convinces me. She's awesome. She's super fun. We're like the three musketeers. Then one day, 
he's on the cusp of getting the gumption to be like, you know, we should hang out, just me and you. And he starts to tell this story. The, I was, I was at the, uh, the Cleveland Art Museum, and I was staring at this statue. It was sort of like the statue of David, and there, there was this attractive young woman also staring at it, and she, she sighed. <sighs> and I said, how? How could that be your response to this? And she says, I just think the proportions are all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and she points to it. Uh, and I say, no, no, no. You, you, don't, you, you don't understand. This is a ripped dude. He's, he's big. And so it looks small. <laughs> but it's not. The proportions are right. That's a, that's a, that's a good size right there. See, on me, that would look gigantic. <laughs> and she looked skeptical, and so I showed her. <laughs> and and Al Allison goes, showed her what? <laughs> and it, it's just, it, it hits me when she says that, and I'm like, Ed, don't, fin <laughs> don't finish this story. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, uh, 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 and I'm like, no. He didn't show her anything. <laughs> and he goes, I was thinking, it was, it, it's like a European. Europeans do that sort of thing. And I'm like, no, no one does that sort of thing. You showed her nothing. La, 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 la. And, and Allison just runs away. <laughs> and that was the end of that. <laughs> I had a situation where people ran away too at the end. Um, when my son was uh, a senior in high school, I got up one Saturday morning, um, not expecting very much. I got the paper, got some coffee, sat down, started reading. And about 10 o'clock, the, uh, the doorbell rings. I go to the door, and there are two teenage boys on the, on the porch. One of them has um, got blonde hair and uh, wearing a black leather motorcycle jacket, and next to him is this really huge dude. He's got a st black stocking cap on and a black sweater that looks like it's too small. But I realize it isn't the sweater that's small, it's that this guy is so big, he's so ripped. Every time he moves an arm, you can see all of the muscles in his biceps swell and roll. So I opened the door and I said, yeah? Because I don't know these two guys. I mean, I know my my oldest son, I had three kids in high school at that time, and I, I knew their friends. I didn't know these guys. I said, yeah, and he, and he said, uh, can we see Dylan? I said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, you can. So I said, just a minute. So I went to my son's bedroom, and uh, I woke him up, and I said, there, there's uh, two dudes who want to talk to you. Come, they're at the door. He says, is one of them uh, a blonde kid in a motorcycle jacket? And I said, yeah. He says, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> I said, uh, you, what do you mean you're not here? You're here. He says, no, 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 I don't want to talk to those two. They're trouble. I said, oh, okay. You know, I'm not going to argue with them. Teenagers are teenagers. Figure that uh, whatever's going on here, that's for him to deal with, for him to take care of. So I go back to, to the porch, and uh, I say, uh, you know, he's sleeping. I'm not going to wake him up. And uh, the kid in the motorcycle jacket who's got a real bony face and a long nose and, and it's almost like a snout and he says, you tell him to get out here and he pulls his teeth back as he speaks and it looks like he's got fangs in his mouth. And I, you know, I'm not used to teenagers talking to me like this. I was teaching school at the time. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I said, what do you mean tell him to get out here? He's sleeping. He, 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 you'll have to come back later. He says, no, I'm not coming back later. That son of a bitch broke my windshield. Hmm. And he's not going to get away with that. I'm not going to take that lying down. And this big guy standing next to him goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
So what do you mean he broke your windshield? Dylan isn't that kind of guy. He doesn't do that. And the guy in the motorcycle jacket says, listen, we were out last night. We were uh, at this uh, party, and um, he broke the windshield. Moose song. Right, Moose? And Moose said, yeah, I saw his car driving away. <laughs> uh, and Moose, he says, tell him how he did it. So Moose says, he, he had a, a crowbar. <laughs> Boom! I said, just a minute. Because I couldn't believe my, my son, <laughs> not my son. So I go back to Dylan. I said, what's, they're telling me that uh, you broke their windshield. He says, no, 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 that was George. And then everything clicked into place because Dylan hung out with George Padapadopoulos. <laughs> and George was a bad boy. And I had told Dylan, stay away from George. Just stay away from this guy. And Dylan goes on to explain that they were at this party. Uh, George was making eyes with this girl uh, who was uh, the, the uh, girlfriend of this kid in the motorcycle jacket. They got blah, 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 stuff going back and forth. When they left, George says to Dylan, I'm going to show that son of a bitch. And he goes to Dylan's trunk because Dylan was driving, gets the, the tire iron out says, stop, next to this kid's car, you know, which was a muscle car, uh, expensive car, and he got out and he smashed the windshield. And what Moose saw was, according to Dylan, me, our, our, my car, driving off. Right. But I didn't do it, really, I didn't. <laughs> it was George who did it. So, of course, I, I believed my son because my son, how could my son? <laughs> so I go back to the front porch and um, I, I, I step out and I say, listen, Dylan didn't do it. He told me he didn't do it. He said, Papadopoulos did it. You got to go talk to Papadopoulos. And, um, and the, the motorcycle jacket says, I'm not going anywhere. You tell him to get out here. Moose saw him and he's going to pay for this. Right, Moose? And at that point, Moose reaches into his pocket and pulls out a chain, a bicycle chain, and starts wrapping it around his wrist. And Moose says, yeah, he's going to pay. <laughs> and at that point, because I don't know what happened, I, I'm not a fighter. I've never been a tough guy. I've never, I've never uh, <laughs> been one of those people. But I guess it was the father in me. I pulled myself up to my full height and when that teacher voice that teachers have, I said, listen, I told you what's gonna happen here. You're gonna get out of here right now. Go on, get down. <coughs> you go talk to Papadopoulos and leave us alone or I'm calling the cops. And somehow I must have, my tone of voice, my stature, my gestures, must have somehow triggered something that the, the motorcycle jacket was familiar with. And it just touched his obedience button. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of took a step back and said, all right, Moose, come on. And Moose, meanwhile, is there with his chain, you know, warming up, getting ready. <laughs> but they turned around, and, and, and uh, as I'm pointing to the car, they down the steps to this, uh, this purple charger, and they jump in. Moose is driving, he turns it on, <laughs> you know, and they drive away, this car sounds angry, even angrier than they are. And I come back in the house, and uh, my wife comes up from the kitchen and says, what's going on? What's all this screaming and yelling? I, so I explained to her what's going on, and I said, um, I don't know how I did that. I, I, I just don't know, because... Uh, but I, I, I guess it's just the father in me. I get, you know, that's what fathers do. I said, because I, I realized as I was looking at Moose, that Moose was ready to take that chain <laughs> and remove as many of my teeth with it as he possibly could. And my wife looked at me and she smiled. She said, well, uh, I know how you did it. And I said, how's that? She said, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> had a genius story that it starts off with torture and, and an inspiration. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about my brother. And my brother 
is a garbage puppeteer. So he regularly resurrects from salvage strange creatures. And I've always thought that that's been... His, his yard looks like Sanford and Son met the Goblin King. <laughs> just, and it's always just like he's always recycling stuff and pulling out. The city's always trying to get him to clean up his yard, but he always knows that one piece is always going to be good for something else. But what he does is he inspires kids to come with these crazy ideas. And he'd be like, yeah, I know how to do that. We got these bicycle tires. We got that. We got this. We got this. And he helps them create. Uh, but when he was a kid, he was hell. And I had to be a little brother. And he was a small guy. And he did have small guy syndrome of wanting to push something around. <laughs> and because he was small, he didn't beat you up the way an ordinary older brother would. He had to be smart. A genius, in fact. And I think probably <laughs> the worst torture that he inflicted on me was when he turned the toilet into a time machine. <laughs> and I was in the bathroom, and then suddenly I realized that there were stuff uh, being stacked up against the door. And I tried to get out, and I couldn't. And he told me that the toilet was a time machine. And that I needed to flush three times to operate it. <laughs> and that was the only way that I was going to get out. <laughs> So, I knew the toilet was in a time machine. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was eight, I was smart. <laughs> but I flushed, and I flushed, and I flushed the third time. And when I came out, my brother and his friend Laura were dressed in my oversized <laughs> parents' clothing. <laughs> <laughs> And they claim to be my real parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew they weren't my real parents. <laughs> but they did make me cry. Because they just wouldn't stop. And they just kept it going on. And then they, and then they started with the concern. <laughs> We're your real parents, Joshua. <laughs> what are you so upset about? <laughs> I covered you. We're your real parents. <laughs> And, and Mark, because I started to cry, then Mark started to believe that, that, that he had actually convinced me that I was meeting my real parents, and then he held it over me for a while, you know. Um, but then as he got older, uh, the small guy syndrome, he needed to defend himself. And his self-defense was brilliant. Um, he came home one day, and he was looking angry as hell. what's going on, Mark? And he pulls up his shirt and he showed me that his chest was just red. And there was a fad of people coming up behind you and smacking you on the chest. And since Mark was the smallest guy in his class, it just happened to him all day. So he just went down in the basement and he pulled out a board and he started pounding <laughs> nails into it. One after another. And then the next day at school, wore this big Shetland sweater that covered his chest protector. Chest protector. <laughs> okay. So he just had like this Iron Maiden contraption. You know, nipples of doom. I don't know what. But anyway, so and then uh, and he, sh he had showed it off to his friend Chris Topman. And then Chris is just like, goes up to Albert, who was getting him, but he's like, get Safford, man, he's open, because he had to see it in action. <laughs> <laughs> and so Albert just comes up and goes, oh. <laughs> So, um, my brother gets hauled in to go see the school cop, and, and he has him in the office, and he's just freaking out, because he's just like, I have seen some sick shit. <laughs> but this is just the topper. And Mark's like, I struck no one. And he goes, but, but, and he just didn't know what to do with a weapon that someone else had applied the force on. But nobody had ever booby-trapped themselves. <laughs> and, 
my brother had spike boobies that <laughs> did that. So I admired his defensiveness. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, his big friends, they pick on, you know, picked on me and otherwise hung me on the fence post by my underwear or whatever. But, uh, um, you have your underwear. <laughs> yeah, I, this I just finally figured out, man. Captain Grundy could have been avoided. <laughs> um, but uh, but then as he got older, um, you know, he stuck, he dropped that chip on his shoulder, and he really turned into an amazing person, I, um, an amazing creative person that was just full of of the love of invention and inspiring people to do things. They couldn't do. You walk into a studio and suddenly you find your hands gunky and wet, and you'd be doing stuff that you would have never imagined yourself doing. And my favorite example of this is um, he was doing an art sled rally where people were, artists were making art sleds, and then people were coming in, kids were coming in, and the artists were helping kids transform, make their vision of some sled. And this mother walks in and goes, He wants to build some kind of rocket ship. <laughs> My brother looks at her and goes, Rocket ship? <laughs> we can do that, but let me talk to him for a moment. Mark talks to him for about two minutes and comes back and looks at the woman and goes, Your son doesn't want to build a rocket ship at all. She goes, No. He wants to build a Naboo Starfighter. <laughs> she goes, is that difficult? It's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> and he goes, Josh, get on your iPhone and show what a Naboo Starfighter looks like. And as he's saying this, he's walking over to cardboard and tracing the shape of a Naboo Starfighter. At it. And by the time I've got it on my phone, he's finished tracing it with his, with his, with his box cutter. And he's like, see? It's a stingray. <laughs> Paint that yellow. Put a saucer on the bottom. Put oatmeal cans on the side. Boom! You got yourself a Naboo Starfighter. <laughs> and the woman is just looking there in shock. And she looks at his son and goes, Okay, you understand that it will look like a Naboo Starfighter, but it won't function like one. And my brother just gets up in her face and goes, Nonsense! <laughs> and she goes, What? And he goes, He's going to be flying. He's eight. He has an imagination. <laughs> so that's who he is today. And I'm proud of my bro for being a guy who is a genius who inspires people. So, there you go. <laughs> well, it's interesting to think uh, to think about like what. You know, so like most of the time we deem other people geniuses, but then some people just decide that they're geniuses themselves. Like, mm -hmm. um, there was a guy I met while I was, it was like 3 a.m. at a McDonald's um, like table area. My, my roommate and I had come back drunk and we tried to go through their drive-through on our bikes to pretend we were a car. Um, we were not the geniuses of the story. But um, we, we were eating hamburgers that we had somehow gotten through their, their walk-through window. And a guy comes up to us and he asks us where to get uh, grapefruit juice. I, you might have heard of this. And um, so, I mean, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. And we're just like, uh, maybe we could go to the Walgreens. I think it's open. And he's like, okay, great. I'm just gonna grab my grapefruit juice and I'm gonna meet my girlfriend at, at the lake and she's gonna have my branch there. And um, so like, I have this bad tendency of opening my mouth when I shouldn't. Like there, there's always like two paths you could take. You could just decide to finish your burger and go home and get some sleep or you could open your mouth and ask like, so what is the branch for? And, <laughs> and so he proceeds to tell me that he's gonna create this amazing piece of public art and he's gonna sell it for like tens of thousands of dollars because like that's what they're going for these days. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, that's really cool. And he continues then to expound upon all, all of like the rest of how great he is. Um, by like revealing all the inside connections that he has to everyone in the music industry, and um, and as well as every single politician, and he also gives me and my roommate relationship advice because we're married, which we are not. <laughs> 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 um, 
And um, he ends, by the time he finishes, like, there's light coming out and then, like, birds <laughs> tripping. And um, he, he ends this by scribbling, like, this, like, 15-digit number, which is Obama's private <laughs> <laughs> number, which I, I did try calling, but didn't work. I'm <laughs> <laughs> disappointed that I tried calling. And um, so I thought that would be the end of it. And um, so this is the next part of the story. Like, was precipitated by the fact that, like, once again, I'm not a genius, and I lost my wallet on the bus. And this guy, um, like the saint, like saw like saw me drop the wallet. I guess as I was leaving the bus, and he inferred that I lived in my current building, and he called the building, and they contacted my roommate, who contacted me. And I needed this card the next day because I was going to do rail safety training. I, I worked for the CTA. And um, I needed this card to sh prove that I was a person who was going to walk over third rail. And this guy was like, no, I'm going to go to sleep. You know, you can get it tomorrow morning and work at this place. And you can come in and get it at 8. I was like, no, I need it at 8. So just don't go to sleep. I'm, I'm coming to you right now. I'm going to hop on my bike. You know, he lived uh, maybe 10 blocks south of where I did. And... Um, I got there at the building, and I was like, yeah, okay, I found it, and my phone died, <laughs> and I didn't know what unit he was, it was like, he lives in this building, one of these lights is him, and I was just standing there, I mean, I couldn't break in, um, and this guy came back from bowling, he was holding, like, carrying his little bowling set, and he was kind of happy, and like, he looked at me, and he's like, hey, how's it going, like, you know, that kind of, you know, creepy, hit on you way, and I was like, you are my only hope of getting my wallet back. Um, and uh, so I'm like, oh yeah, it's going great, great. Like, how is it going? Make, make small talk. Um, and by the way, like, can I use your phone to contact a man in this building who I, I don't know where he lives, but he has my wallet. Um, and he, you know, he turns on like the white knight phase and, um, you know, helps me get back my wallet, but not before he hands me his card. And he's like, ah. I'm a massage therapist, <laughs> and I think I have the card with me, but it says his, his, his professional, his working name is Prince Edward Massage Therapist, and he's, he's listed in several states, actually. He works cross-country, uh, I don't know if I... Prince yes, Edward. okay, <laughs> and um, the tag is specializing in part and full body massages. Let the healing hands of Prince ease away your attention. <laughs> um, which, like, I don't know if you're supposed to hit on your prospective clientele if you're a massage therapist, but but it's it's okay. In the end, like, I did get my wallet back, um, and I was biking biking back, and I was passing this entryway to to the lake, and I saw this crazy shopping cart and had these branches underneath. And I knew immediately, like, what the branches were. I'm like, it's branches, it's branches. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have my phone on me at the time, so I didn't take a photo of it, and I was really sad about it. But then a week or two later, I was coming back late from work, and it was like 11 p.m., and I was standing outside that Blick on Monroe, on um, State, waiting for my bus. And, and I look over at the Blick, and there's this crazy shopping cart, and it's, like, piled. It, it looks like... Someone had just pushed it out of the world's craziest like an like antique store, and it was just like shoes and like boxes, and there was a lamp next to it, and a fire fire like a, like a Chicago fire sign, um, and I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is because there's little little branches underneath the car, <laughs> except they were smaller branches from the last time I'd seen them because he probably had to break them up to like make them mobile. I don't even know how he got them downtown, um, and I was taking photos this time. I was like, I have my phone. And the branchman showed up, and I was like, oh, hey, um, uh, Dally, do you remember me? And he's like, yeah, I remember you. Um, and he's like, oh, but I lost your phone number from the last time. It's like, why don't you write it down for me? And I, I like, initially opening my mouth when I shouldn't, I'd like just sort of give my phone number out for free, just like Obama does. And, <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it on this big Chicago fire sign of his. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm going up to Berwyn. Like, those Orientals know how to price stones. And like, he was apparently, he had this, his, this rock that he gave to a girlfriend, but was now in his possession again. Um, and it, because he needed the money. And he's like, I'll show you, I'll show you. And he gets out 
this this wine box and he takes out a bunch of tissue paper and um, he pulls out this like this ring and he goes over and shows it to me in the bus stop, like the light of the, the, the ad, the bus stop ad, um, next to where he had deposited all these uh, carrots and, and cabbages and, and, and other vegetables because they weren't grapefruit. So this like goes back to his love of grapefruit. Um, but he shows it to me in the, in the light, like he's like, I got this from Persian. I'm like, oh, I can see the shine. But I don't know if that's the, <laughs> the thing changing the ad. Um, and um, <laughs> and so he, he then, you know, he shows me the latest thing that he worked on. Like my bus was pulling up, but he, he, he had this shirt that he also pulled out from this shopping cart. And I was really disappointed because it was <laughs> like, it gave me an indication of his skill level. And it was, it was a shirt that he was working on like while he was at a White Castle before he got kicked out. And he had some ketchup on there too, I think, like make creative use of this medium. Um, but like I could tell from looking at the shirt that like if he had installed that branch, I don't think he would have gotten twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. So, but you know, maybe one day we'll like we'll see a branch on on the sh like shore of Lake Michigan, and we'll know the genius behind it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That's my. Maybe he's a genius, and we just don't know. I had a friend who would literally ask everybody he met out coffee, and he had a business cards that said Coffee Companion. He <laughs> <laughs> was just so aggressively social. <laughs> he gets more first dates than anybody I know. Because <laughs> he's so energetic. And then people are like, oh my god, you don't stop. But he's just a coffee companion, right? Just the, yeah, that's how it starts. <laughs> I can tell it's more than coffee always. <laughs> so is he manic or is it the <laughs> he's, totally, he's totally manic and interfaceless. But also drinks a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah to feed his manas, his mania. Thank you. I do have a CTA coworker story um, related to people who think that they are being smart or not being smart. Um, but I can tell it later if someone like, wants another story. I have a short CTA genius story. I was on the train the other day and there was a guy who was driving the train who basically started acting like he was pilot of an airplane, like it was a, more, like it was a longer journey and so forth. And he's like, you do have choices. <laughs> and everyone just looked up, they were so happy. Something on the CTA. <laughs> it was exciting. I was like, wow, that's a great way to make a job that might not be so fun into something fun, because totally everybody was surprised and thought it was Wait, what did he say exactly? He just, he was talking like a pilot. He was just being, he said, just saying, oh, please enjoy your stay in the Windy City. He was happy, you know, no, no one's used to that. And so it's just like, wow, thank you. You know, actually, um, so back, back when I was a student, I used to write for the Southside paper, and one of the stories pitched was the happy bus driver. He, he drove a bus that went up from the Southside up to downtown, mm -hmm. and you know, he just had smiley face stickers on all the stops, and when he got on, he's like, you're on the happy bus, and like, hey, I'm happy now. And, um, and then he mysteriously disappeared, and nobody knew why, and like, maybe the CTA fired him, because like, we don't like, we don't like happy people working <laughs> for us, we don't like happy commuters. Um, but then, you know, we just never knew the answer. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to me in a staff meeting, and we're talking about very exciting things like like attrition rate, and we're like talking about the, the various reasons why people quit. And my boss is like, "Well, you know, some people fail the drug test, um, oh. just like the happy bus driver." <laughs> and, and I'm like, "What about the happy bus driver?" It's like, you know, he was actually on LSD the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was oh like, God. "Oh, that was why." <laughs> That's a genius of, of, of sort to think that if he, you know, he didn't get into a single accident, he was on LSD the entire time. Yeah, really. Yeah, to get around the city of Chicago and uh, pull people around. There is something. There's a taboo against being happy on public transit systems, though I feel, especially on the L. Um, I'm generally a pretty joyous person, and I'm just pretty excited about things most of the time, and so. 
I usually get on the L and I'm pretty excited. And also, like, there are a lot of hilarious things that happen on the L, <laughs> like trying to find out where to stand, um, accidentally touching someone's hand as you grab the pole, and then there's this awkward moment the person has <laughs> the music plays. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in my head, there's this like, amazing choreography of human interaction, and it's so amusing. What? So I said, like, the music plays from somebody who doesn't have earbuds but plays the music anyway. It's <laughs> 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 heavy metal. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just terribly amused by it all the time, so I'm always like, laughing and enjoying myself and people look at me like I'm a little nutty. Um, <laughs> and I also hum while walking down my street, um, usually when I'm carrying grocery bags because it actually puts me in a better mood so that I don't think about how <laughs> the grocery bags are. Um, and, and again, I live in Lincoln Park and I think like being happy is really taboo. And they're like, what is this girl doing? She's humming a song and she's walking down the street and like we don't trust her. Um, but my CTA story is actually, um, a situation where I was put into, I, I was with someone who was very, very happy, uh, who was a calligraphy artist, and um, we were on the L together. It was really early in the morning. It was like maybe, it was like during rush hour, um, so before nine o'clock, going to the loop. So the L was completely packed. And I am a yoga instructor, but I have terrible balance when it comes to the L, <laughs> and I need to hold on to something, or my body is just going to go all over the place. So, um, we're on the L, and he um, realizes that like I, I'm like moving too much, and I'm like you know knocking into everybody, and so he starts singing this song <laughs> about how he'll be my human pole, <laughs> and I was so embarrassed at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to get you coffee, like you are just like, you need to calm down, <laughs> and then I started cracking up, and um. It's really funny because in that moment I felt totally humiliated. Um, but now, thinking back at it, I just love that that moment. It was so beautiful, um, and I, I love it. It's one of my favorite Chicago memories. So, um, but it was funny too, just being like usually on the reverse side of that. Like I'm the eccentric one, um, so yeah, it's kind of fun. He made this song up. Yeah, it was really sweet. Can it was it for us. Not not it for us. Um, it was just like, I'll be your human pole. I mean, it was like, and then he made it like into like a pop song. And it was great. I don't know what dance with it. He didn't have a dance with it, but yeah. And it, it actually worked. Like I held on to him and then I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. So I just, this is not really a genius story, but I just want to riff off the entire idea of like walking while humming. So that actually just like reminded me of something that's been on my mind a little bit of, okay, so a little bit of setup here. I bike a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, I usually commute to and from work by bicycles about 10 miles from where I live, and then there's usually biking every day on top of that. Um, so yeah, I'm on my bike most of the time. I also bike a lot on the lakefront and like other like bikeways where it's okay to listen to music because there's no like chance of a collision or like an accident, you don't have to be as aware. I also really like biking at night because it's a lot more peaceful and quiet, and it's really nice to see everything illuminated by night by lights. This would all be really, really good except for two problems. One, I'm on some like medication that <laughs> makes my Tourette's a lot worse, including things like trying to dance automatically, like when I hear music or like sing along to the music without realizing it. Also, I've got things like Cashinelli Goulding on my on my um, iPad, <laughs> leading to at least one case where like some people were like in a serious conversation, like on the lakefront, just sitting down talking in low voices, and suddenly a light, like a Christmas tree, <laughs> cyclist lights, enough to blind them, followed by seeing this vague figure just doing this on their bike, <laughs> shrieking the lyrics to um, Cash's Dirty Love, while zooming past. Did I mention I, don't, I cannot sing at all? While zooming past, and then the lights dwindle in the back, except the last flashing of that one light right right, and then it's silent again. <laughs> Damn it, it was you! <laughs> from 400 Blows, um, the main theme song is a French movie. It's a very famous theme music. I'm sure you guys would recognize it if you heard it. It's very beautiful. Um, and I kept pretending like it was my phone ringing or it was an alarm that was accidentally going off. <laughs> but it's a very like classic cinematic, you know, song <laughs> um, that I just kind of wanted to share with uh, the world while I was walking to work this morning. <laughs>
Does anybody have any good stories of times when they thought they were being a genius but it went terribly wrong? I guess one thing on my end was I realized how to finally wake up in the mornings by making my alarm clock a song I really, really liked because then I'd stay up to listen mm. to like the song and then I'll be fully awake. I tried it for like a month and now I fucking hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> I did that too. Well, when we were at the, uh, the casino, um, I mean, I got, a couple things happened. I feel like the most notable characters when we were there were these um, intense like Asian immigrants who were just there like having a party. Um, like when we were first walking around, we were both like we're all too chicken to, to like lay down any money. So I was like, okay, we have to draw first blood, <laughs> and I decided to draw first blood at a blackjack table where the minimum was twenty five. <laughs> um, and sat down next to this man who used to be a, uh, a casino like security guy who like looked up at monitors. Now he's like on the other side. I asked him like he, why he was there. He's like, oh yeah, my grandma's in the hospital. Just had some time to kill. Just seemed like an appropriate way to mark the occasion. Um, and then, <laughs> and then when, while he was sitting there, um, this intense Chinese businessman sat down and like with this like intense pug face, and he like laid down like four Chris Benjamins, most Benjamins I've ever seen. I mean, um, and like we we left the table because I quickly lost all my movement, um, and we kept going back and he was, they were still there. Um, but when we when Noah put down the twenty on black. There was another guy who showed up. He also had a really intense expression. Didn't say anything. He just like put down three hundred, and he started stacking coins on all the different numbers. And miraculously, like the um, uh, the roulette ball landed on one of his numbers. Twenty nine black. Yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually so I've never seen that that many like immigrant like I'm always this this sounds really bad, but I've never seen that many immigrants in in, in the same space except for one other time where I was in sort of a, like the, the main thing is me not being a genius when I was in my like desperate for a job phase and I was contacted via LinkedIn via, uh, by this girl named Birdie Song. Birdie Lee, not Birdie Song, but like it, it still sounded fake. Birdie <laughs> should ring an alarm of some kind, but like, you know, and she's like, oh yeah, I have a, a job opportunity you might be interested in. And uh, we had an informational phone call, which is more about like her asking me about my hobbies or something. You know, like <laughs> phone, phone reviews are never that easy. And I should have, that was another like tip off I should have listened to. And she was like, well, okay, well, we have an informational session downtown um, that you could join us for. And it's, you know, at this time, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'll get out of class, go there. And I, I went there and it was just like this weird down, downstairs hotel room. And, um, I got there and it was all young college kids and immigrant families. And then um, the guy went up to talk about this great job opportunity and he immediately reminded me of um, uh, American Psycho guy. What's his name? Christian Bale? Yes, Christian Bale and American Psycho. He just <laughs> had the same expression and same face and I that really should have been another tip off. Um, and he, and he, Basically, he, uh, I think it's Bateman. Amway. Wait, what? Patrick Bateman. Patrick Bateman, yeah. <laughs> so he explains like an Amway pyramid scheme. <laughs> and then at some point, he's like, does anyone know what a pyramid scheme is? And I'm like, yes, I do. He's like, can you explain what that is? I'm like, yes, I will explain it. He's like, well, this is not a pyramid scheme. And at that point, I'm like, everyone in this room is lost. I'm just like, can't, I can't do this. Um, I mean, it was, it was just like, it was, but you know, I, Desperate enough for a job, I like shook their hands and took their business cards. But it obviously, don't work for Amway right now. Thank, thank God. Don't don't take up any LinkedIn sketchy offers for jobs, or or offers to sell knives because they're very very similar. I also fell into that same trap after high school. You so sold the knives. I, I must yeah, I must be like one of those people who like mosquitoes bite a lot and just you know, I don't know. Scam pyramid scheme. By the way, if you guys are looking for a nice set, um, <laughs> I can do a demonstration afterwards. Um, you know, random. I can random. sell you some. You can yeah, sell exactly. those. Yeah, exactly. And friends. then you can buy your own set, so you can sell your friends and family and lose them as you well. You have paring knives. I need a new paring knife. Yeah, I just open my my suitcase of knives. Your jacket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So we're talking about. 
public transportation a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And uh, yeah, there's definitely like, you're only on the bus if you're a college student who has a free pass or you're poor. Uh, and that's what everyone believes, I think. Uh, but I love the bus because always interesting things happen. Like uh, you hear about people's crazy relationship problems. One time I was in a bus where I think half the bus had all been to the same uh, prison two states over. <laughs> and they were all talking about <laughs> the people they knew <laughs> at the prison. Uh, but anyway, the reason I bring it up is because on my way to Chicago this last time, this guy was on the bus with me, and he uh, he's sort of a, an awkward guy, and he was sort of awkwardly hitting on the people next to me, and they were like awkwardly moving <laughs> away from Was he giving out coffee, coffee companion cards? Well, I don't know. He, he's one of those Does people that, that, you know, you <laughs> can kind of tell that something's a little off. But I did end up talking to him, and he's like, oh, you know, I, I work for myself. I'm with Am Amway. <laughs> oh, yes. And I got to tell you, it's the only you know, job in the world where you can surpass your, your boss. And he's like, my boss is making less than me. I make 1,600 more than him. He gave me, he gave me no units. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, no, I've heard of Amway, but you know, it's just not my thing. And uh, mercifully, he, he kind of, um, he kind of lit off after that. And we sort of, you know, it's like, I'm gonna take a nap now, please. <laughs> uh, but he was definitely not a genius because as we're approaching Chicago, we come through like the, the, the toll booth and he flips out. He's like, what are these toll booths on the highway? <laughs> Has everyone, anyone ever seen this before? They put toll booths on the highway? This is crazy. And he's like asking everyone, and he's asking me and I'm like, yeah, I think that's just how they, you know, finance the, the highway. That's how it works. He's like. I can't believe this, and he calls his mom up, and he's like, Mom, they got toll booths on the highway here. Man, can you believe this? Have you ever heard about this kind of thing? <laughs> what a and, racket. And then there's like little silence from, <laughs> from him listening to his mom, he's like, well, I don't remember as a kid going through these toll booths. <laughs> and finally he's like, well, I just want to get some concrete and put up some toll booth. These people are making a killing on the highway. And yeah, basically, till we got to the bus station, this guy was just like, on the highway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So there's your business opportunity. Toll booths on the highway. There's a guy named John Boyle who worked for the Illinois Toyway Authority. And um, he was part of the uh, accounting team. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but um, the money went through his hands uh, at some point in the day. And um, after a while, the uh, authorities noticed that the funds were short. Mm. And they started to check him. And it turned out that he would, uh, at the end of the day, he would come out with money bags and go to his car and put them in his trunk and drive home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good business model. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was perfect. He had the concrete, he didn't have to invest. <laughs> <laughs> they made a killing. Uh, but the, uh, the, the feds were looking at him and they documented everything and they, they brought him up on charges and, and he got sent to prison. And Chaos just loved this story. And he, he named this guy John Quarters Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll probably go to his grave uh, as Quarters and on his tombstone. Here lies Quarters. <laughs> so a story of, of genius on public transport. I, uh, um, my friend Arlene hates musicals because she thinks that you know, it's just, it's not logical ever. 
people in public to, to break out into song. <laughs> Ever, but it does happen from time to time. And, and I remember coming back from the Chicago Blues Fest, everybody was coming back from Blues Fest on this one train, and, and then there was a dude just sitting there on the train with his guitar, and he played the fuse first few chords to why don't we do it in the road just really shyly and then just people started pounding <laughs> and then that train just started rocking out <laughs> I was like wow <laughs> so uh, you know I thought that was pretty fantastic on my bus right up, there was also a guy with a guitar and he got on and he started playing a little ditty and then he kind of stopped, and then he turned the person next to him, and he's like, well, that's the only one I know, so. Do you play it again? I, you know, I, I tried, you know, I was trying to avoid my neighbor again, so I was going to take a little nap. <laughs> there was one time I got on, um, I was on a train, and this guy just, like, steps in and starts rapping, and it's, like, one of the best damn raps, like, like I'd ever heard of people who were applauding at the end of it, and then just at the next stop, he just walks off. Awesome. Doesn't even like ask for money, he just walks off mm -hmm. and heads down. That was just it. That's what you did. I have a friend who, uh, well, uh, grew up here, but she's Chinese, and when, when they were a kid, they went back to, you know, visit relatives and have some fun, and it was like a, the children's festival like children's day or something there's some english contest going on so she <laughs> enters in an english contest and her chinese is really good but obviously her english is even better and she beats all the children like, wow you're english like where did you learn it and she was uh, she's just like you know i just got to school i'm really smart <laughs> uh, that was just a genius move right there <laughs> Earlier, you, you had mentioned prisons and you had mentioned feds. Uh, I'm retired from the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and I worked in a major penitentiary. And this is a genius story, by the way. <laughs> Not me, but I had an inmate who uh, was about 45, 46 at the time, and he was in for murder. He'd been in for a long time. He started telling me stories. Now he was older than me. I was probably 36 at the time, and. I ran a, a motor shop where we rewound motors. I was an electrician. And I noticed that he was very good at this. And I said, you know, have you ever done it before? No, no. He was actually figuring this stuff out math mathematically. So I said, well, you know, you should take some uh, math courses. They were offering math courses there. And he uh, took some math courses. And all of a sudden, he was surpassing the math teachers. And one day he came to me and he said, Mr. Spewitz, he said, there's this data rule, he said, I would like to order. And I would help me with figuring out how to do, uh, how to wind these motors, you know, to get the proper speeds and all that. So I got it for him and there was a book attached to it. He read this book and about a couple of weeks later he came back and he said, you know, these uh, formulas, these calculations aren't correct. He said, there's a number at the end of the book, could we call the author? I said, call if you have questions. <laughs> so I got authorization and we made the phone calls and it was all recorded and everything. The uh, author, on the other hand, I put it on speakerphone and he, he said, there's a few cal calculations here that don't work out. And the guy took a little time, you know, he heard the silence and a little later, he, the guy came back and he said, you know, you're right. He uh -huh. said, no one has ever, this book has been out for 10 years and no one's ever questioned <laughs> these uh, formulas before. And he said, well, the, the inmate said, well, he said, I just thought you'd like to know that. He said, it, your book doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> my, my point is, there, here's this guy in, in jail for all this time and he was so smart if he'd only had the proper education. Right. Well, there, I'll go back a little bit. He told me a little bit about his childhood, too, which was, there's a few funny things in there. And I think how he got to this point was, he was his uh, 
stepfather who was beating his mother. And so he was trying to figure out all these different ways at eight years old how he could do away with this guy. He was under the car one time. He kicked the jack out from under it and dropped it on him. Wow. <laughs> And, and another uh, story he told me was about him as his, bu his buddy, who was probably eight or ten years old too. They went out in the junkyard and they found this old shotgun. So they cleaned it up. They had, and then they dug around. They found some bullets. They had no idea if they were the right size or anything. He said we we stuck one in there. <laughs> he said my buddy. It was pretty heavy. He said I couldn't hold it up. He said so my buddy turned around. I put it on his shoulder oh, and said we we were trying to find something to shoot. And he said there was this TV there. Big old TV. Oh, God. So he says, I closed my eyes. He said, I pulled the trigger. Well, I actually have to stand up to do this. He says, I, I closed my eyes and I pulled the trigger. And he said, it just boom went like that. And he said, when I opened my eyes, the TV was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, my buddy was on the ground. He said, I thought he disappeared too. <laughs> And just uh, a lot of stuff like that. Well, this guy was so scared, it came time for him to get out after 20 years in jail. And, you know, things had changed. Life wasn't the same on the outside. He said, Mr. Spies, he says, now you have to keep in mind, he's older than I am at that point. And uh, by 10 years or more. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, you know, when I get out, I said, and I'll call him Joe. I said, Joe, you know, you, you're very intelligent. You can go out and get a job anywhere winding motors. Companies would be glad to have you. So a couple months later, after he got out, I get these pictures. He's standing inside a giant electric motor down in Florida oh. working for GE. And they just think he's the most wonderful thing there ever was. And uh, he called me on Father's Day over oh, here. Wow. Just saying, you, you're the only one that ever believed in me that I could nice. do something. Oh. And in my mind, he was a real genius. So. Yeah. It's a true one, dude. Yeah, without realizing that. Uh, I think that that's a good